Uh, but there's a couple of things that we started the message last week. If you got your notes, pull them out with me. There's a couple of things uh, that we talked about. First point last week we talked about was how do we approach Scripture? And the first thing we said was this. Scripture was written for you, but not to you, right? Scripture's written for you, but not to you. What do I mean by that? You are not the original audience. Every time you open Scripture, that thing was written by a person at a specific time to a specific group of people. And if we don't understand that, if we don't take that into consideration, and we just start saying, what does it mean to me? Then sometimes we can bypass the very foundational meaning of what a scripture is trying to say. And people can come up with crazy ideas of what the Bible has to say because they've totally forgotten about that. Because in our modern society, what do we think? It's my truth. What I, what I think about things matters as much as what I may. Oh, that's good. But first we should kind of know what was God intending and then we'll go from there, all right? So this is really important, especially in the Old Testament, because sometimes in the New Testament, we can read letters, right? And you read a letter, and it's like, oh, yeah, there's the author and the people he's writing to. It makes sense. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, it may not say that, so we still have to have this understanding, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing we talked about last week was this, is that we need to see the bigger story. We need to be the, see the bigger story. Like when you're a kid, you, you have kind of your favorite Bible stories, you know, like Noah's Ark or David and the Goliath. You know, those are good ones. We can, we can just pluck stories out of here, right? The problem is, if all we're doing is plucking stories out of the Bible, we miss what the overall story is. And there's a bigger picture going on here than just some, simply some cool stories that are happening here and there. What is the story of Scripture that we're really trying to get at? Here's what story is doing. It's painting the story of God's redemptive plan for all of creation and all of humanity. His redemptive plan that culminates and is embodied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture is about. It is telling this redemptive plan in all this Old Testament the purpose is to get us to Jesus. That's the point, okay? And if we miss that, then what we can do is we can read stories from the Old Testament, and sometimes we're like, that's a crazy story. That's a weird story. I wonder why that's in the Bible, because it's not just listing a bunch of good people to be, that you can kind of emulate your life after. Like, here's the moral people. Try to be like them. Because even the moral people in Scripture, kind of some of them are crazy, right? They do weird things, you know? And if that's what we think it's about, that's not what it's about. This is a story that is leading us to Jesus. That's the point. Every time you see, I can't believe they allowed that. Guess what? God had a purpose. He's got to get us to Jesus. That's the point. Okay? And so we have to see the bigger picture. So we get to uh, Malachi. And last week we talked a little bit about the context of Malachi. And Malachi is at the end. It's the very last book because in the timeline of the Old Testament, it is the last writing that we see. And what's happened is God is, remember, he's initiating this redemptive plan in the world, right? He goes to a man named Abraham, and he says, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. I'm going to do this thing, and you're going to be a part of it. And this nation rises up of Israel. We've heard of the nation of Israel is raised up. And they're this people group, and you know the stories, right? They go up and down, and they just follow, follow God, and then they do their own thing. And they run, and then God help us out, and they go back and up and down and up and down. It's chaos throughout the entire Old Testament, all right? And we finally get to a point where they are exiled and they are taken into Babylon and they are brought back to the land. Now they're back in Jerusalem. And a few decades later, they're back to their old ways, doing their own thing, not following what God said, even though he had faithfully restored their land. We're back to this place. And so Malachi is coming to write to this group of people. Things are rough. They're poor, they're weak, the nation is nothing like it once was. And Malachi is coming to confront this. 
Now, we said this last week that Malachi deals with this, and he's dealing with this relationship of God with his people. That's what he's speaking to. Because God established a covenant with these Israelites, right? He established a relationship, and he said, listen, I'm going to do some things through you. And we said last week that the big so what for us was that in our relationship with God, in our relationship with God, the big so what, our foundation is his faithfulness. Our foundation is his faithfulness. Because remember, you go through the whole Old Testament over and over and over and over. They're unfaithful. But God said, listen, I am doing a work in the world. I have a redemptive plan that's going to happen in the world. i got to get to Jesus, and I am going to be faithful to accomplish that plan. And so for us today is saying, listen, the hope of your salvation is never in your ability to be perfectly faithful. Our hope is in God's faithfulness. That's the foundation of our relationship with God, right? Cool. So that's what we talked about last week. This week is kind of the pivot in the book of Malachi. There's this pivot, this turning, and it starts to get a little confrontational. How many of you are hockey people? Any hockey people in the room? Like two of you. Awesome. (laughs) I'm not a hockey person either. I don't really like hockey. I grew up in Chicago in the 90s. Nobody gave a rip about the Blackhawks. It was the Bulls. Like, nobody cared. Okay. But there was one point, and maybe if you've been to a hockey game, you're going to know what I'm talking about. There was one, uh, one time in high school where somebody invited me to go to a hockey game. And I'm like, this is going to be great. I've never been to a hockey game. This is cool. And I, it turned out to be one of the greatest games because guy had a hat trick. Uh, there was a shootout at the end and the moment that every hockey fan loves, okay? There was a moment. You know what I'm talking about? These two guys start getting a little chippy at each other. And all of a sudden, the crowd jumps up. And what do the two guys do? Gloves dropped, right? And they start fighting, and they're going at it, you know? And if you don't know hockey, sorry. But that's the best part of a hockey game, okay? And so these two guys are going at it in the hockey game. The gloves are down. This is what's about to happen in the book of Malachi. The gloves are about to drop, and Malachi's about to go at it. And he's, he gets pretty, pretty serious here. And that's what we're going to look at. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse number 6. I said this last week, if you don't know where Malachi is, it's okay. We don't go there all that often. Uh, If you can find the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, just back up a couple pages. You'll be in Malachi. You can always check your table of contents if you don't know where that is, all right? Malachi chapter 1, I say this every week as well. It's really important that you have a scripture out as we're going to look through this. So you can always borrow one from the table at the back. Or if you don't own one, that's our gift to you. We want you to have it, okay? Would you stand with me as we're going to read our our text, just a portion of our primary text today. Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, says this. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And God, I thank you that this word that was written about 2,400 years ago still speaks to us today. Like you, you want to speak to us in 2020 right where we're at. There is a word for us. And so, God, right now we pause the busyness of our world and we say, Holy Spirit, would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts to hear from you, God? We want to receive from you today. We pray that in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can be seated. How many of you tend to avoid conflict? 
Any of you attend over your conflict avoiders? Okay, I get that. How many of you are the opposite? You kind of like conflicts. Some of you, some of you lean into that. I get that. I know some of you. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the, some of you, how many of you are good Minnesotans and you just lay the passive aggressive on nice and thick? Some of you that way. Okay, some of you do that. I know that as well. I love. I, I don't know if I've ever said this before, but I love when I get to do funerals around here, and this is funny, but it, when we have funerals around here, I wear a suit, because I'm a good pastor, and pastors put suits on at funerals, um, but at funerals, I get so many passive-aggressive compliments, it's hilarious, because people will come up, and they're just like, I just love your suit. I love it when my pastor wears a suit, and I'm like, I do own one, guys, <laughs> You're never going to catch it on a Sunday, but I do own a, I own a suit. But uh, God is not passive-aggressive in this passage we're about to read, all right? Yeah, it's about to get pretty serious, okay? So I want you to walk through this with me if you can follow along, all right? Look what it says in verse number 6. It says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. Now, I find it interesting. Remember last week's passage started out right away with, I have loved you. Remember, it's this relational language. God's talking about his relationship with his people, right? And that's what he's doing right here. The first example he uses is this idea of a father and a child. There's relational language. Remember, this is the purpose, this relationship we have with him. But it goes on. He says, if I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name. Now you stop here. When you read this passage, this is, he's writing specifically to the priests who are serving in the temple. And it's easy for us to say, well, that's, about, that's for the pastors then, right? Greg, this one's for you. No, in, in the New Testament, it talks about the priesthood of the believers, like this whole idea that we are all serving as priests, all right? And so this is absolutely for every single one of us. So take hold of this, this passage for us, okay? So he says, you priests, you show contempt for my name. And then he assumes what they're going to say. He says, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. All right, so what's going on here? He is coming at them because he's saying, listen, you're treating me with contempt. You're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of your whole nation, and yet you're treating me with contempt. I know sometimes we, don't, we use that word. You might not know exactly what the word contempt means, but it means to consider something beneath consideration. Like, like totally worth, like worthless, not worthy of your thoughts at all. You said, nah. And so God's up here saying, listen, you treat me like I don't matter. You act like I'm just the scum, like, like doesn't matter. He doesn't care. He's cool with this. No big deal. That's how you're acting. And you're supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the nation. And this is how you're going to act? He says, this is disgusting, Right? And so we go on, and he explains how it is they are treating him with contempt. Look at verse 8. It says this, When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? What are they doing? They're bringing them the leftovers. They're bringing them the garbage. They're bringing the stuff that's of no value to them, and they're just saying, ah, that's good. He's cool with that. 
Now, you're familiar with this. Prior to Jesus coming and, and being the final sacrifice for us, there was this entire sacrificial system that, that's established. And, and there's a lot of rules and regulations when it comes to the sacrificial system that we find uh, throughout the Torah. Uh, but here's, here's a few of the reasons. There's a few reasons why this whole sacrificial system exists. One of those is that it was intended to show the significance of sin. Like that sin is a big deal, Right? That sin matters, that there is a cost with sin. That's part of the reason why this whole sacrifice system existed. But there's another reason. This system was was meant to put you into a position of trust. As we're going to see in a moment, the intention was that you would give God your first, that you would give him your best. Remember we talked about this back in February uh, during our Jesus Talks Money series, that the whole idea of the tithe and giving is to give the first, is to say, God, I trust you so much that I'm not going to give you my leftovers. I'm going to give you my very first and my very best, and I'm going to have confidence in you to supply every need that I have. That's the purpose of this. But there's another purpose with this, and it's this. It was to reiterate God's worth and God's holiness. That's the reason of the sacrifice system, that he is of value, that he is worthy, that he is holy, that you just can't approach him like, eh, no big deal. He's, he's fine, he's cool, he's okay, I don't have to give him much attention at all, right? That was the point of the sacrificial system, was to make you realize that he is holy. The word holy, what does it mean? He's set apart. He is not like we are. You don't treat him like your bro and homie. It's fine that Jesus is your homie, but you don't treat him just like that. He is far greater than that. He is holy, he is just, and he is righteous. And we need to approach his throne that way. Do we understand? Right? Like That's the point of this sacrificial system. Now, we don't, have to, we don't have to understand the details of it to understand that this was a pretty shoddy offering they're giving him, right? They're giving him just the leftovers, the garbage, right? Uh, but I want to go, can we turn uh, to Deuteronomy 15? I got this one on the screen for you. Deuteronomy chapter 15. I want to go to the passage that actually explains what the offering was supposed to look like. He said this, set apart for the Lord your God every firstborn. Remember first, the best, the best thing you got, male of your herds and flocks. Do not put the firstborn of your cows to work, and do not shear the firstborn of your sheep. It goes on from there. It says this. Each year you and your family are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose. If an animal has a defect, is lame, or blind, or has any serious flaw like a disease, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord. Does it get any clearer? They're literally doing exactly what he said don't do. They're giving the leftovers. They're giving the garbage. They're giving him what is not worthy and do him. They're giving it to him. And in doing so, basically, they're spitting in the face of God. They're spitting in the face. They're saying, listen, God, you're not really worthy. You're not really that valuable. You aren't that holy. I can just treat you casually because it doesn't really matter. Not a big deal. You're cool with it, right? Remember last week, what was God saying? I have been faithful to you, and I will be faithful to you. What does he come out of the gates this week saying? You haven't. You've been unfaithful to me, right? We go on to verse 10. Look what it says in verse 10. It says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. What's he saying? Shut her down. That old temple thing, that was so cool. Shut it down. I don't really give a rip what you're doing right now because it's meaningless to me. 
It is worthless because you're treating it like it doesn't matter. I'd rather you not do it. Like, quit it. You ever had somebody who does stuff for you and you're like, you know they don't really care? You're like, yeah, it does nothing for me, right? I know this doesn't matter to you. In the book of Amos, the first chapter of Isaiah, God resounds with these saying, listen, stop. Stop singing. Stop doing the songs. Stop doing the sacrifices. Stop all that stuff. It's noise to my ears. It stinks to my nostrils. I don't like it. Like, stop. I don't want that, right? And the people could say, yeah, but we're, we are sacrificing to you. It's not like we forgot about you. And he's like, yeah, but the quality of your sacrifice reveals the condition of your heart quality of your sacrifice reveals the condition of your heart. There's a story uh, in 1 Samuel where uh, Saul is the king, right? Saul's the king, and they're supposed to make a sacrifice before they go into battle. And he knows this is really important, but Samuel the prophet is the one who's supposed to do the sacrifice, okay? And so he's waiting, he's waiting. Samuel's not getting there. He's like, we got to go into battle. I want to make sure this sacrifice happens. And what does he do? He says, forget it. I'm just going to do it myself. And he makes the sacrifice. And right when the sacrifice is done, what happens? Uh, Samuel comes over the hill, and he comes up to him, and he confronts him. He says, you've done something you shouldn't have done, Saul. And he says this, through, God speaks to, to Saul through the prophet Samuel, says this, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than, that's fine. You thought the sacrifice mattered? I didn't really care. I want to know, are you really surrendered to me? Are you really committed to me? Are you really saying, I'll do whatever you want, God, because you're not saying that because you just did something I told you not to do. You're spitting in my face, right? And this is in your notes. You might want to write this down. But it's simply this. A lack of obedience shows a lack of care. We know this in regular life, right? And right, when, we're, when someone doesn't do what you've asked, you're like, do you, do you care? I, this happens with our kids sometimes, you know? We tell our kids, hey, can you do this? And our kids are really good at kind of doing things. I mean, know what I'm talking about? You know, they kind of do what we're asked them to do, right? They kind of clean things. They kind of pick up their toys, you know? You know what I'm saying? But how many men know us men? Sometimes we do the same thing. <laughs> like my wife asked me to do things, and sometimes I'm guilty of kind of doing it, right? Early in our marriage, she would ask me to clean things, and, and I would clean it my way, right? My way, which is clearly the superior way, right? No, it isn't. But I know that when she asks me to clean it, she's not just asking me to do it my way. She's saying, Greg, can you do this her way, right? How she sees it getting clean, right? And if I care about my wife and I, and I want to show her that I love her, whose way do I do it like? Her way. Her way. <laughs> right answer. Right? You get it. Because if I don't do it that way, she might not say anything. You know, some of you men, you know what it's like. You got those passive women, they don't say anything. But guess what? You're driving a wedge in your relationship. Because they might not say anything, but they don't feel loved. They don't want your actions. They want your heart. And guess what? God's the same way. He doesn't just want your actions. He wants your heart. And this gets really clear to us if you just flip your Bibles, I love it. You can flip in your Bibles. Literally, it might be three, four, or five pages, and you get to Matthew chapter 5. What's Matthew chapter 5? Who knows what's there? Sir, exactly. The Sermon on the Mount starts on Matthew chapter 5. And what happens in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus starts talking about all of these things in life, and he starts saying, listen, 
you're all worried about this out here. I'm focused right here. Where's this at? I want your heart. Not just, I want the actions, absolutely, but they should be reflective of a heart that is surrendered to me, right? All right, cool. So let's go on. I want to I catch one more part of this passage. If you jump down to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. So there's a bunch of stuff going on. I can't get through all of this. Uh, but if, uh, verse number 1 of chapter 2, it says this. He's talking to the priests again. He says, and now you priests, this warning is for you. He's kind of focusing on them. If you do not listen... And if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. It's about to get real. I'm going to explain here in a moment. Look at verse number three. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. Oh, snap. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Like, I've got, I've, how many changed a diaper before? Right? I've gotten, di- I've never had dung on my face. <laughs> never had the poop on my face. But this is pretty, I guess, pretty harsh. You read that, you're like, God, whoa. You're like, whoa, chill out. <laughs> You putting poop on people's faces, you know? Hey, teenagers, I don't know about you, but that's what I'd be thinking, you know? Like, but you got to understand what's happening here to understand why he says what he says here. Because uh, the deal is he's not being cruel here. He's showing how serious he is. And this is what we need to recognize with God. Because the, the people who are working as the priests, you need to understand this. The people who are working as the priests came from the tribe of Levi, all right? The tribe of Levi. You remember the nation of Israel has 12 tribes, okay? It's divided up in 12 tribes. One of those is Levi. All the Levites are the ones that are the ones that get to serve in the priesthood, all right? Okay, you understand that. What happens with the dung? When all the animals come for the sacrifice and you got a whole heap of poop sitting there, what happens to the poop? The poop gets shoveled up and thrown out of the temple. We don't leave the poop sitting in the temple, okay? Clear? Poop goes out. What does God say? I'm going to wipe the dung on your faces. What's he saying there? I'm going to take you Levites who are supposed to be committed. You are the ones who are supposed to be committed to me, serving me, living for me, leading the people to me. If you keep acting this way, I'm going to toss you out of the temple. And you no longer are going to be the one serving in my temple. See why he said that? There was a reason why he said that. And we go on here, and I love this in verse number four, because now you finally understand, okay, that's, that's why he's saying this. He says this, and you will know that I have sent you this warning. Why? So that, for this reason, all because, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, right? What is God's desire? Is it he just wants to be vengeful and wipe the poop on the face and just say, ha, ha, ha. no. He's not being vengeful. He's not trying to pay them back. He is trying to bring them back. That's the purpose. God disciplines like a good father because he comes to us at times and he shakes and rattles our cages a little bit. Why? Because he wants us to step back into alignment with him. He's like, I am with my kids. I don't discipline them because I want to hurt them. I want them to come back into alignment. And God would say the same thing to us today. 
Every single one of us, there are times when we step outside, when we get going the wrong direction, and he comes to us and says, listen, I want you to come back to me. That's what I want. I will discipline you because I love you. So this is what's being said here in this passage. And so I want to get us to our big so what. I say this every week. So what? What's the point of this whole thing? Here is the point for us this morning. It's simply this. Is that God isn't interested in us going through the motions. God isn't interested in us going through the motions. I mean, no, sometimes we can do that. That's not his interest. That's not his desire. That we just simply do the stuff we've always done. We just go through the motions, not really caring about anything, not really uh, having a passion for anything. Instead, just, just doing what we've always done. See, God is super frustrated with them because that's what the priests are doing. Oh, they're doing the stuff. It isn't that they're not sacrificing. They just don't really care anymore. They're not giving their best. They're not, they're not demanding the best from people. They're accepting weaker sacrifices. Because they're saying, hey, do you not care about me? Do you not value me? You're leading the people, you're leading the entire Israelite nation into a place where they don't give a rip about me. They have forgotten about my holiness. They have forgotten about my righteousness. They have forgotten what I am worthy of. And I think sometimes we do the same things. In our faith, there's times where we can, we can get into positions where we just don't care at all, right? We just go about our business doing stuff and like, I don't really care that much about God. But I'll be, I'll be honest, I think for a lot of us, that's not the place we get to. We just get to a place where it's just second nature. We don't really think about it anymore. You just start doing your thing. You know, I don't think we get, I mean, I, there may be some of you caught in some deep sin here this morning. And if that's the case, I'm praying that God would call your heart back. But my guess is there's none of you are just in some crazy sin right now and you're hiding this massive closet, you know. But I think there's times where we just go about our faith and act like, eh, yeah, it's fine. Treat God like, eh, it's, it's fine. Yeah, I, yeah, every once in a while I crack my Bible open, you know, check a box, kind of move on from there. Every time I, you know, when I need something, when I pray, yubba dub dub, thanks for the grub, whatever it is, I, when I, I, I'll give God a little time. But other than that, I'm not really spending time with him, caring about him creating value, saying, God, I want to know you. I actually want to be with you. I don't just want to receive salvation from you. I actually want to know you. The whole point of salvation is that we could be in a relationship. Like sometimes we don't act that way, right? We're like, cool, I got my, I got my ticket. I'm stamped to heaven. Boom, cool, fist pump God. I love it. But are we really seeking a deep relationship with him? Are we caring for him? Are we treating him as he deserves when we don't, then we are saying, basically, God, I, I don't really care. Instead of responding to his grace, instead of responding to his love, instead of responding to his faithfulness, we just sometimes can go through the motions. Maybe I'm the only one in the room that does that, but I got a feeling I'm not. I think there's an there's a emphasis that I think is really great, but has a dangerous side to it. And for some of us, a lot of us who were raised in a church, it's very easy. It, uh, I know in my upbringing, there was a part of me that had this sense of um, legalism and this sense of like, I've got to earn God's favor because I've got to do the right stuff and then God will like me. 
And maybe you weren't raised that way, but that's a little bit of my mindset. Like, if I do the right things, then God will love me more, right? And then maybe I'll have him, he'll, he'll like me, and then I'll get into heaven, right? And I think a lot of us can have that mindset because that's how we react to people. And we know that the emphasis that we've had in our generation has been an emphasis on the grace of God, which is wholeheartedly correct. We are saved by grace, all right? You are not saved because of your goodness. You are saved by the grace of God. It is what he has done for you that trumps anything that you can do, all right? But hear this. If we are not careful, we can slide into a very sloppy grace. We can slide into this thing that says, ah, God's cool with it. I just ask God to forgive me. No big whoop. Like, no, no big deal, right? I just got to say this. If that ever becomes an attitude that, that you think that comes out of your heart, you are in very, very dangerous ground, all right? Actually, talks in the New Testament about it's like we're, we're crucifying Christ again. When we treat it so casually, we treat sin so casually, we treat him so casually, we act as if he does not matter. No, he is holy, he is righteous, he is loving beyond belief, he has come after you, he has sought to win your heart, but we better not treat him like he doesn't matter. We better not go through the motions. True faith requires a heart that is surrendered to God and a life and actions that prove that submission, that prove that we are submitted to him, that live this thing out, all right? And you might say to me, well, Greg, you're getting kind of rough this morning because Jesus wasn't like that. He was super ushy-gushy and lovey all the time and never said things like this. <laughs> you should read your Bible. <laughs> There's some tough stuff in there. Like, I think the hardest words in Scripture are the red ones. Because there's some pretty tough stuff in there. But I want to I point you to one. It's one of my favorite passages. You might want to turn there um, in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Uh, this is a, a challenging scripture. You would say, yeah, but is this Jesus' words? Yes, this is Jesus' word. This is the, the resurrected Jesus speaking. He's speaking to different churches. And uh, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, he's speaking to the church in Laodicea. And this is what he says, beginning in the second part of verse 14. He says, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. He's saying, this is me, Jesus. Here we go. This is what Jesus has to say. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. You're just going through the motions. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, I'm good, I don't need anything. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you. I'm, I'm challenging you. I'm, I'm desperately pleading with you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. Uh, white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and a salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Verse 19, look at what he says. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He says, I love you. I'm calling you back. I want to shake you up a little bit and say, listen, I, I want you to turn back to me with all your heart. Verse 20, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. 
he'd say, listen, I don't want you to go through the motions. I didn't come, I didn't bear a cross just so you, I could have a bunch of robots that just do stuff. That wasn't the goal. That wasn't the intention. Could I just get some people to show up to a building for an hour on Sunday because that, really, that would really fill my, my tank up? That's not what God did. He looked down to a broken creation. He says, I desperately want them to know my goodness. I want them to see me. But rather than standing in, on a throne and saying, bow, submit, he came down and bore a cross for us. He didn't come just to win our souls. He came to win your heart. To say, I love you this much. Why do we take communion? To remind ourselves of the goodness of our God. Of what he was willing to do for us. That he would win our affections. This is not just a history book. This is a romance novel. To express the love of God. That he loves every single one of us no matter where we are. He doesn't want us just to respond with duty but to respond with everything we've got. And I don't know about you, there's times in my life where I need to get shaken up a little bit, right? I need, I need to get my, cattle, my cage rattled just a little bit because I'm just in the groove. I'm in the normal thing. It isn't that I'm, I'm, I'm a, just doing bad things. It's just that I'm doing just the stuff. You know what it's like when you just you get a week into your life and you're like, but did I just do anything on purpose? I just kind of was this meandering my way through my world, right? This can happen in my relationship with my wife at times. Where she will, she'll call me out because we've gotten into a season and I'm, I'm going through the motions a little bit. And I need that. Because my heart's desire is not to do that. That isn't what I want. But if I'm not careful, that's what I can slip into. And I need those moments to be reminded right? That my heart turned back, that my intention turns back. And I think the same thing is true in our relationship with God. That there are those moments where we recognize, if we're honest, we say, you know what? I'm kind of going through the motions in my faith right now. I haven't been pursuing Christ. I haven't been pursuing Him. If I'm honest, I can look in the rearview mirror and find times in my life where I was more committed to Christ and more connected to Him spiritually where I spent more time with them, if that's the case, then it's possible that today maybe there's a little bit of the motions going on. And so this morning, I don't come to you to, to yell at you. I don't come for any of those reasons. I think Malachi would come to us and just to remind us, say, listen, in your faith, God doesn't want you going through the motions. And maybe this morning you need to come back to him a little bit and say, God, I'm sorry. Even if it's just a half a degree I've gotten off a little bit, God, and I want to point myself back at you. There was a prophetic word that was spoken in our prayer time this morning, and I just feel like I think it's for us this morning. It's a visual. Someone, and they didn't even know fully what I was speaking, but they got this image of a potted plant. And she says this has happened to her before, where she's had a, a potted plant that's, that's lived for a really long, maybe it's an older plant, it's been there. And, and if you're not careful in time, the plant starts growing a little sideways, and the dirt gets so compacted that it's hard for it to get healthy. And so, so what, what's needed to do is you kind of have to, you have to shake that thing up a little bit. You got to pull that plant up, shake the dirt up a little, give it some space, get that plant pointed up right, pack it down a little bit. And it's possible for us this morning that maybe that's what's needed to say, God, 
I need you to shake some things up a little bit so that I can point where I need to go. I can, I can lead, I'm a creative guy, so I can lead us into uh, uh, responses that can be very emotionally driven. And I don't want that this morning. I want us to have an, a sincere turning to say, you know what? That's where I am, God. And I don't want that anymore. Because emotions will last a day, but intentionality can go beyond that. And my prayers for us is that we would step beyond today into a place of greater intimacy with Christ because we shake things up a little bit, all right? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much that you care for us deeply, that you call us back like a good father. You call us back to yourself. You don't leave us where we are, God. You care too much for that, God. And so I pray right now for every heart in this place. I pray, Holy Spirit, across this place, would you begin to reveal into hearts those areas where we have started to go through the motions, those places where maybe we have not pursued you as deeply as we should. And God, I pray that you would make that clear, but God, more than just making it clear, you'd begin to draw us into a deeper place where we would shake ourselves up, where we would take steps of intentionality to live differently, God, that we would pursue intimacy with you, God. God, that we wouldn't treat you with contempt, but with love. Thank you, Jesus. With every head bow, every eye closed across this room, I just want you to have a moment with God right now. And if you're in this room, again, this isn't an issue of you've got some grave sin in your life, but it's simply an issue of I sense there's a part of my life that maybe I'm going through the motions a little bit, and I want to respond and say, God, I'm done with that. If that's you across the room, just a simple act of faith and response, would you just raise a hand to God right now across the room and say, God, I want to give you all of me. I want to give you all of me. I'm not holding on to anything. I want it all for your glory, God. Yeah, just have a moment with God right now. Say, God, I, I give you myself completely. I give myself to you completely, God, to pursue you, Jesus. Thank you, God. God, I thank you that you are stirring. You're drawing us deeper into yourself, God. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down, God. Uh, across the room with your heads bowed and eyes closed, there may be some of you who've never responded to Jesus. You'd say, listen, what you're describing is the entirety of my life. I just kind of do some things, but I've never surrendered myself to Jesus. If that's where you're at this morning, and you would say, I, I need to take a first step. I need to fully surrender my life to Jesus. Maybe I am caught in sin right now. Maybe I am in a place just of separation from God, and I want to submit my life to Him and receive a new life that comes only through Christ and His death and resurrection. If that's you this morning, you want to respond, I invite you right now just to raise a hand of, as an act of faith across the room to say, God, I surrender my life completely to you. If that's you, I want you to do that across the room. Yeah, yeah. If there's anybody else, so anyone else, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus today. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Across the room, can you just pray this after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Once again, we come to you. We surrender ourselves to you. We surrender our hearts to you. We want to live for you. God, we receive your salvation and we want to live out your salvation as free people. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. Help us to love you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me across the room. There's a challenge 
we're gonna close, which is a singing here in a moment, but I, I, wanna, I wanted you to hear this challenge first. And it's this. This week, I want you to shake yourself up this week and be intentional. What does that mean? We can't do the same thing and expect to get a different result, okay? We've gotta do something differently. And so it may mean this week you need to shake your schedule up a little bit. You may need to emphasize time with God. You may need to spend some time in prayer in his word. You may need to spend some time worshiping. You may need to do something different in your life. You need to stay up later. You need to get up earlier. I don't know what it is, but shake your schedule, shake your life up a little bit this, this week so that we can fight this urge to go through the motions, all right?